Week 8, Watch Where You Walk. We've been studying the life of David. We've been in this series for quite some time. Uh, we, we, we did a, about an 18-week series on the story of David as David moved from a shepherd to a king. And the moment that he stepped into his kingship, we started, we renamed the series The Reign of David. We've been looking at the reign of David as king over Israel. And we've seen that he has um, gotten command of all the tribes of Israel. They are unified. They are bringing Israel back to God. And um, last week, uh, Paul Broussard came and he preached and he gave a great message about uh, honor breeding unity and they were such unified and, and the fight and more and more people at this point are falling subject to the kingdom of Israel, God's chosen people. David has seen great victory. He's followed God. He's been faithful. He's done all that God has asked him to do and he's been proven to be someone that is a man after God's own heart. So David's a pretty great man of God, amen? He is listening to everything. He is doing everything. And this man, after God's own heart at this point in the story, is about 50 years old. So we've seen quite a bit of life from a 15-year-old shepherd boy all the way to a 50-year-old king. He's been walking with God a long time. He's been doing all the right stuff. But this man, after God's own heart, tonight we're going to see a big shift in the reign of David because this man, after God's own heart, who's been doing right, is about to fall greatly. And I know that we've never seen pastors fall at all. But David is about to. He's a king and we're about to see a story over the next few weeks of, and today really opening it up, is a story of adultery, deception, murder, and hypocrisy. All stem from a godly man. A man after God's own heart. And there are so many of us that think that if I can just get in church and get to a point, I can get to a point where I'm untouchable and get to a point where sin's no longer a big deal. I've heard people say it. I just need to get in church. I just need to get in the presence of God. Well, you can get in the presence of God all you want and you can be in church all you want, but the fact of the matter is, no matter how long you've been in church or no matter how uh, new of a walk it's been for you, we've always got to make sure we take a close look at where we walk because what can happen is when you're not paying close enough attention to your step with God and your walk with God, then some things can build up in you that causes something I like to, uh, I'm going to name arrogance. And arrogance can rise up in you and a pride can build up in you where you think you're untouchable and you stop watching your walk because you're in church and you're tithing and you're doing the right things and you're worshiping God and you're studying the Bible and you're doing all these things and you think because you're in the house that you're untouchable and sin's not a big deal and because you grow in this pride and this arrogance of I'm doing right so that means everything must be okay before you know it you find yourself in a fall and then you question everything because you have no idea where that came from proverbs 8 13 even says this all who fear the lord will hate evil hate evil therefore i hate pride arrogance corruption and perverse speech he calls pride and arrogance evil. He, he says and it is to be hated. It is something that will never cause us to walk in what we're supposed to walk in. And what we're going to see in these chapters tonight, and if you're in your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. David has an arrogance that starts to rise up in him and it causes him to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and falls to a great sin. Y'all ready? So in 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 1 it says this. 
in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. At this time, in this part of the world, wars were not normally fought in the winter months and the winter seasons. Because in the wintertime in this part of the world, in ancient culture, um, it was very rainy and it was very cold and it made travel very difficult. They didn't have tanks or anything that had heaters in them. I'm not sure if they do now, but they didn't have that stuff, so they couldn't exactly prepare for war in cold months. So in that time, kings would prepare to go to war in the spring. Well, we're in the springtime, and this is the time where David should have been prepared to go into battle. He should have been out in the battle, but something happened with David. It was springtime. War was about to happen, and when God called the army to go to the battlefield, David was not on the battlefield. It says he stayed in Jerusalem. In the last chapter, last week, Joab and the army, they were saved and they went to Jerusalem and they lined up or they linked up with David's army because it was time to fight against these Ammonites, and they, but they had not yet had a clear victory. And if you read the end of the chapter, which, which, which Paul talked about last week, at the end of the chapter, when David went into the battle is when they had the is, is when they won. It's when, it was only when David was in the battle that they won. So in order to defeat the Ammonites altogether, it wasn't enough that they went on behalf of David. Because remember, every battle David wins, he's in the battlefield. This time, when they were going after the Ammonites to, to take care of business, David needed to be on the battlefield. God did not want David at home. God wanted David on the battlefield. And I believe there are so many of us are at this place in life where whether it's arrogance or pride or whatever, we are staying in places we aren't meant to be because it's a season to get on the battlefield. You are called as sons and daughters of the living God. And if I read my Bible correctly, God created and worked on the earth in six days and he rested on one. And for some reasons, Christian thinks as long as we just work, then we must be in God's plan. But I'm here to tell you tonight that there is something about you and there is something in you and there is something special about you that is needed on that battlefield, that is needed on this battlefield. There's people who are sick. There's people who are dying. There's, there, there, there is wars. Uh, and battles being uh, and, and debates being brought up and no Christians are standing up and there are too many of us sitting back saying I've done my time, I've done enough I've, had, I, I've, I've done this church thing long enough, I need some rest I've served my time and God's like I've called you to a battlefield and you're sitting at home doing nothing I don't know if you've seen the world, but we've got people b b believing in, in, in abortion and the whole uh, uh, LGBTQ thing and, 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 and homosexuality is running rampant and, and there's murders and there, there's pain. I mean, Africa is, is, is also on fire right now, literally. It's not just the Amazon. There, it, the world is in complete chaos. And you know what the answer to chaos is? It's the people of God stepping up to set order to a chaotic world it is you have not done enough to earn the right to do nothing none of us have 
There are people in this room with gifts of music and you need to start serving. There are people in this room with a gift of pastoralship and you need to start serving. There are people in this room that have a heart for outreach and you need to step up. There are people in here who have an intellect higher above than anyone in this room and you're able to explain things to people in your sphere that I couldn't begin to explain it to and God's saying don't make excuses as to why you can't. You've got to get in the battlefield. But for some reason we're not getting in the battlefield. We're staying in our Jerusalem. We're staying in our place because it's safe and we've earned our time where we can just sit back. In Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 it says this, for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. And your decision should be to make sure that you are walking in step with God so that when it's time to go to battle, you recognize the time you recognize the season, and your answer is, yes, Lord. God knows all things. And if we believe that, we're about to see something that we all need to realize tonight. That if God is calling you here, then there must be something there that you're not meant to see or be in time with or be in step with. You're going to see this throughout this message, but I believe that all sin can be pretty much narrowed down to one thing, and it's unrest. Can I get real with you tonight? You got to say it like, can I get real with you tonight? Yeah. Unrest, does, I do not do well with unrest. As a 33-year-old GQ hot <laughs> pastor not married, when I have time on my hands, I start looking into the wrong places. Now, don't worry, I'm not talking about going to certain websites or anything like that, but I am talking about I'll start pulling up those numbers where I'll start doing the subscriptions to the dating websites and I'll try to do whatever I can because I've got this unrest and let's just face it, I want to find me someone. And, and sometimes because of so much unrest, instead of Put, getting myself on the battlefield and letting God put someone in my path, I waste all this time trying to find the right one only to end up always finding the wrong one. And it's all because of one thing, unrest. I find that when I'm in unrest, I overeat a lot. I'll be sitting on my couch and I've got nothing to do and I'm watching TV and all of a sudden I get, I get that craving. And when God is saying eat broccoli, I go after those chips and salsa. And I don't know about you, but I can't eat a chip and a, and a little bit of salsa. You can ask my mom in the back. I'll come over to her house because I'm too cheap to buy my own groceries. And I'll find those Tostitos, you know, those round ones. And I don't eat one or two or thing. I eat the whole bag in one sitting. I just can't stop. But that's what we do. <laughs> We get in this unrest and, and, and we find things to do. And the whole time, God's like, you realize how much temptation you would be averting if you would just put your time to the battlefield? You wouldn't have time. It's all about managing unrest. And here's David. He should be on the battlefield. And he is in a palace, 50 years old. He's got all this stuff going. And he's about to manage unrest very not well. So in verse 2, y'all with me? <laughs> Oh, Lord. So in verse 2, it says this. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, 
David got out of bed and he was walking on the roof of the palace. Now remember, he shouldn't have been walking around the roof of a palace that overlooked the city. He should have had his butt on the battlefield killing people in the name of Jesus. <laughs> well, as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Now, if I was on a rooftop and I happened to look out and there was a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath, it would be really hard to just start praying to Jesus. <laughs> Let's just be honest. I'm probably going to do what King David did. Thanks, David, for the example. It's probably going to be hard for me to... Y'all don't, don't like it when the pastor's real to you. It's probably going to be hard for me to look away because I'm a man and she's bathing and I'm looking. <laughs> I'm digging so much holes today. Woo! He noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. So what did he do? He worshiped. No, it says, just keep those scriptures up there if y'all don't mind. He sent someone in verse 3 to, to find out who she was, of course. You see a woman taking a bath, and you're like, hey, who, who that? So he, he's like, go find her. And, and they told her, well, she's Bathsheba. That's funny they named her Bathsheba. She is, she, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, if you notice earlier in the verse, it says David was walking on a rooftop. Well, I thought to myself, why was he walking? So I studied that word. And in the Hebrew word, the, ver the verb right there used for walking actually means to pace back and forth. In other words, remember, he awoke from his midday rest and he went up and he's just he's pacing. Why? Because there is something not rested in his spirit. Because he should be in the battle, but he's sitting there sleeping in the palace. So there is something not agreeing with his spirit. So he's, he, what do I, well, why can't I get rest? Y'all ever had that time? I, Kyle, I just can't get rest. Let me tell you, if you can't get rest, start searching the scriptures. Start seeking God because there is a reason your spirit is not at rest. Because my scripture says the fruit of the Lord is peace. So if you don't have peace, you need to start seeking him. <laughs> so, so David is sitting here pacing back and forth because he doesn't have rest. And in the middle of pacing back and forth, he looks out and he sees this woman bathing. He was searching. There was unrest, there was unrest in him. And the unrest was searching for order. The unrest wanted order. So David had two choices. He says, I can seek God and let my spirit bring order to the rest. Or I can do what I need to do and let my flesh bring order to the rest. And that is the struggle. Because when you have these moments of unrest, you got two choices. Do I let my spirits bring it into order, spirit bring it into order, or do I let my flesh bring it into order? When I have unrest, when I come and get those Tostitos, that is my flesh bringing my unrest into order. When I'm trying to search for these women to find me a wife, that is my unrest, bring it into order. I can safely say that when we've got this place and we do something every night at Relentless, I don't have enough time to have unrest. 
Hallelujah. But David was in a place he should not have been. He had tremendous unrest. So he started pacing back and forth because the unrest wants order. The, the Bible says the earth has fallen into chaos. The earth is in unrest. The winds are in unrest. So they seek order. So they're finding order in the form of a hurricane. They're finding order in the form of flames bursting out in California and the Amazon and Africa. And the earth is groaning, the scripture says for the sons and daughters of the living God to bring order to the unrest. What kind of order are you bringing to your unrest? Is this all right? We are managing unrest inappropriately. So how do we manage it? Galatians 5.16 I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What's the title of this message? Watch where you walk. And there are so many of us walking in the wrong place. There are so many of us pacing in the midst of unrest in our life, running from a call that God has given you. God's given you call, a call to a platform. God's given you a call to a serving place. God has given you a call in the workforce. God's given you a call to a wife. God has given you a call to a husband. God has given you call to a ministry, and there's so many of us pacing back and forth wondering what's the next thing, and God's like, I need you to bring order because your unrest can only be settled appropriately by your spirit. Watch where you walk. David was not walking in the spirit. David was walking in arrogance, which caused him to stay instead of go. And we do that. We say we can't get involved with church or with ministry because I'm too old and or I've done this a long time, or, or I work a lot, or I do this, or I do that. But if we're walking in the Spirit, your unrest will be settled in a godly fashion, and God will give you more than enough rest in the season of you trying to find the rest. You're trying to find the rest in all the wrong places. And God's like, I've got more than enough. My cup will runneth over. I've got everything you need. Just start walking in the Spirit. Stop trying to settle your unrest by fleshly things. Stop trying to settle your unrest by overeating with a cigarette, with, with premarital sex, or, with, or, or with, with drugs and alcohol, or with watching those things on the internet, or being more obsessed with the next season show that gives God no glory than you taking time to come here and pray on behalf of the saints and behalf of the city. Do you, re do you really take God serious? I've heard people skip in church because of football games. Do you realize who is your God in that moment? And I'm not picking on anyone in the front row. <laughs> I'm simply using a real-world example that we have, we have totally shifted priority. I heard a preacher say today, if you took out the reality of hell, would you still worship God? Because there are so many of us that worship God because we don't want to go to hell. But that should not be the reason we worship God. The Bible says kindness brings, the, the, the goodness of God, the kindness of God is what turns us to repentance, not the fear of flames. If you took away the reality of hell, would you still give God as much time as you do now? What is your reality of him? Are you walking by the Spirit? Do you have a passion and a yearning to be with the family of God? To, to, do you have a passion and yearning to, 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 to get in the battle that you're called to be? 
I'm not a believer that the battlefield is necessarily that the church is going to put together events uh, and really just to make ourselves feel better about doing causes. We do a lot of things, but my goal is to, to never put together an event thinking that we're, we're taking care of Savannah. Because I believe your battlefield is your workplace. Just because you're called to be an evangelist doesn't mean you're called to work for a church. Your calling could be in the sphere of your workplace. You could have an apostolic call for, the, for your workplace. You know what an apostle's gifting is? CEOs and managers. We don't have to make the term apostle spooky. It is a gifting that you have. We don't have to make the term prophet spooky. It's a gifting that you have. I believe some of the most strongest prophets in the world are probably the ones that we'll never hear of because they spend time prophesying to the people in their workplace that you're good enough and it's coming and there's a season coming and they're prophesying to the workers and they're prophesying to the co-workers. Is anyone hearing what I'm saying? But we've got to start walking by the Spirit and it all, and it all stems from managing unrest. Do you watch where you're walking? David was walking in, errant, in arrogance and his unrest started to be fulfilling a lustful need. So in verse 4, it says this, Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Mm. <laughs> she had just completed the purification rites after her, having her menstrual period. Nice. Bible. And then she returned home. This is a real, real passage. There's some young ears in the room. I apologize, but... I don't. Using his authority to fulfill his flesh. He doesn't have to go date her. He doesn't have to go send her a, a message through Facebook. He doesn't have to text her through a, I don't, what, what do y'all use, a Snapchat or whatever it is. David just uses his authority. He said, hey, y'all, who that be bathing that rooftop? Go get her. Brings her to his room and sleeps with her. All because of where he was, he, was, he was walking. If he would have been in battle where he was called to be, he would have never had unrest. He would have never started pacing back and forth on a roof. He would have never saw a woman bathing, and he would have never brought her into his chamber so that he could have his way with her. But, you know, I don't, I think so many preachers blame Bathsheba. I hear preachers all the time, well, Bathsheba shouldn't have been bathing naked on a rooftop in the first place. I don't believe this is all because of Bathsheba. Because there was already corrupt seed that David was walking in long before he started pacing back and forth on a rooftop. If you remember back in 1 Samuel, starting around 25, when David started winning these battles and walking into his kingly authority, he started taking something for himself. Many, many wives. When in Deuteronomy, the Lord has specifically laid out the instruction to be with one wife. He was already in a lifestyle of disobedience, even in his seeking. And I think that's something we need to pay attention to where you walk in. Because you can be seeking God and doing the right things and getting involved with church and serving. But if you are continually compromising in any area, you don't realize that in walking in something other than the spirit, you're building something up in your life that is going to cause you to have a big fall when you're in the wrong place at the wrong time and you see something that God never meant you to see because you were supposed to be on the battlefield. Is this, is this speaking to anybody? He's been sowing into this thing over and over for years 
and years and years. And some of us have disregarded so many things because we don't want to watch where we're walking. We, we, we use the grace card when we, I, I don't know why I'm on this rant tonight, but we use the grace card in TV and movies, and I do it too. We always give our eyes to the most inappropriate things and we wonder why we're having thoughts of the most inappropriate things. Where are, we, where, where, where are we walking? Are you watching where you walk? Are you watching where the ground is that you're making for yourself to be with? Psalm 119.95 says this, Though the wicked had along the way to kill me, I will quietly keep my mind on your laws. The Bible says that we are in this world, not of it. The worst thing a Christian can do is separate themselves from being in the midst of the world. We're not called to separate. We're called to influence. So what does this mean? Though the wicked hide along the way to kill me, I will, keep quietly, keep my, I will quietly keep my mind on your laws. Whenever I turn on the TV, whenever I open my app, whenever I open a book, whenever I want to cuss someone out for, for running me off the road or cutting me off on whatever it is, wherever it is, are you quietly keeping your mind on the laws? The laws of God don't save you. Jesus does. But they certainly help you in steering in the right direction. Grace does not take away law. Grace says law is no longer the thing that makes you worthy of salvation. But when you are saved, your heart should be turned in such a way where you want to keep the law. So I keep it on my mind so that when I'm walking in places, it will lead me into the right place versus letting my flesh lead me into the wrong place. Watch where you're walking. Walk by the Spirit, keeping your mind on his laws. If David had kept his mind on God's law of marriage, he wouldn't have been living this lifestyle of wife after wife after wife after wife after wife. And he certainly would have, wouldn't have been in a place where even if he hadn't listened to God, because I know we mess up and sometimes we think God wants us here, but we get there. Even if you're in the wrong place, even if you're on the rooftop, even when you're in a pacing moment, had he not given his life to totally ignoring the law, it would have been much easier for him when he saw Bathsheba to turn to God rather than turning to his men and say, who's that? And I think one of the most weakest moments that we have as, as men and women of God is that when our eyes or, we're, or wherever we are, when we're put into a wrong situation, when we're led into a wrong place, when we see something, we ask questions about what is that thing versus turning to God. Who is that? What is that? Is that sin? Can I not do it? We ask everyone's opinion and we search topics and we read things on the internet, and the whole time God's like, where are you walking? And staying home from the battle out of walking in arrogance caused an opportunity to arise in the midst of his lack of keeping the mind of God's law. Bathsheba wasn't just some random girl. She was a daughter of Eliam. Eliam, meaning her grandfather, was one of David's chief counselors. Her husband, Uriah, was one of the mighty men of David's army. So all the, pe the, the man Bathsheba was married to and her grandfather, they were in David's close circles. They helped David become the king he was by honoring him. Talk about an untouchable thing. But because his mind was not walking in the spirit, he was walking in arrogance, 
a flesh moment came up and he didn't care who she was or how close he was to these men. He took what he wanted because he wasn't watching where he was walking. And then the text message no one wants to receive in verse 5. Later when Bathsheba discovered she was pregnant, she sent David a message, I'm pregnant. <laughs> Dang. Now, <laughs> is this all right? now, David should have done one thing, repent. Especially when this was found out. He should have turned to God and started walking in the Spirit. Acts 3.19, repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Repent so that your sins may be wiped away. What happens when your sins are wiped away? It's a lot easier for you to get back in line with the Spirit because you no longer feel guilty. But he didn't do that. He didn't repent. He didn't do anything that he was supposed to do. And isn't it funny that we believe that God knows all things, but we hide our sin. We hide our confession. We hide from God, and we don't want to confess a thing because we are walking in arrogance and pride, the very thing that Proverbs calls evil. And we won't take correction because for some reason you think when someone corrects you, they hate you. But I can tell you at this church, if correction is brought, it's for one purpose, that we grow in love and intimacy with the Father. There's nothing that you have done that is so atrocious that you are not accepted here. Nothing. Even when people blaspheme God, I love him. I want to show him who he is. There is nothing you can do that can separate yourself from the love of God. You may do things that separate you from him, but his love is always accessible with a simple one-step turn. Repentance. David should have done this, but he didn't because he was walking in arrogance. And look in verse 6. Then David said, sent word to Joab, send me Uriah, Uriah the Hittite. Now remember, slept with Bathsheba, now she's pregnant. So now he calls for her husband. Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. But when Uriah arrived, David asked him, isn't this funny? David starts to have a casual conversation, which is exactly what we do when we sin. We just talk and act like nothing happened. David's like, so how's Joab and the army? Are they getting along? How's, how's the war progressing? Then he told Uriah, well, why, why don't you go on home to relax? David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. That's interesting. Why didn't Uriah go home? Verse 10, when David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? And Uriah replied, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. Do you see what's going on? You know why David called Uriah back? He wanted him to sleep with Bathsheba to cover up the pregnancy. Slick old David. But Uriah couldn't do that. Uriah was a man of great integrity. He said, there's no way I'm going to sleep in comfort while my men are out on these battlefields. Now, at that moment, you think conviction would come, could come with David, because that's exactly what David was doing. 
He was chilling in Jerusalem in his palace when he should have been on the battlefield. And I think that there are so many of us when we, we, we can look at the news and we can find stories of, of Christians being oppressed everywhere in the world and, and we see people lost. You know, when I see an abortion clinic, I don't see something that I want to set on fire. I see women that I want to embrace and tell truth to and let them know that they're loved and there's a family that will help them. I'm tired of the church making people feel bad. That's not your job. When I see an abortion clinic or when I see anything like that, I see a chance to show love, not condemnation. And yet we all say amen, but none of us are doing anything. You're going to go home tonight. You're going to go to sleep. You're going to wake up tomorrow and have your coffee or whatever your morning routine is. You're going to do your work week thing. And for some reason, only 20 of you show up for prayer. No one's getting involved in outreach. No one's pouring into ministries. No one's coming to me and saying, hey, I've got an idea. I want to go do this. You are, for some reason, completely satisfied coming to hear a sermon that's going to make you feel better about your crappy life. And you judge David. It's quiet in here. That's where we're at, isn't it? <laughs> For those of you that don't know me, I just preach real. Uriah wasn't like that. He said, as long as there's a battle to fight, I'm going to be on the field. So in 2 Samuel 11, 12, it says, well, stay here. Tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next, and then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. Now, you would think David would have repented here again, but no, 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 no. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. He is so desperate that he is trying to get the man drunk to go home and sleep with his wife because he's trying to cover up instead of confess. He's trying to hide his sin instead of repent. And I think Uriah reminds us of something so powerful that comes out of Romans chapter 12. And it says this in verse 15, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. You know, one of the best times of my week is, I don't do it every week, I do it, I do it at least twice a month. We go to that recovery square every Saturday. And you know what, I, 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 I love sitting down with those men and women and just talking about their stories and sharing light with them. And I, I pray that no matter how large Relentless grows or, you know, y'all know the vision, I don't want my name to be known. It's, a, it's about the ministry. But sometimes things happen and we, the names get whatever. And I, I pray that no matter what kind of influence I had, I'll never forget groups of those 10 people. I pray that my pride and arrogance never gets to the place where I say I don't have time for them. And yet there are so many of us in the church of today who have that exact mindset. You don't know how much I work, I don't have time. Because you've forgotten how to weep with those who weep and be happy with those who are happy. Sometimes the biggest ministry opportunities are the people that you think you're too good to be around. Maybe that's even your family. 
Maybe it's your closest friends. We are called to be in such harmony that we would never put ourselves above people. We're in the same battle. Uriah got that. David didn't. So in verse 14, is this making sense? The next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. Now remember, he has committed adultery. He has deceived people. He is doing wrong, 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 wrong. And look at this. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines for the battle is fiercest. And then pull back so that he'll be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. Because David failed to repent, one lie led to another. One sin led to another and another and another. First adultery, then deceit, now murder. All because he was not watching where he walked. This is a man who became the great king. He used all of his power for wrong. And sometimes when you start to do that, it can affect everyone around you. This mighty warrior who served David at every request was handed over to death because David would not repent of one night when he was pacing back and forth in the wrong place. Watch where you're walking. You want to know why? In 1 Corinthians 12, 26, it says this, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part's honored, all the parts are glad. This passage is talking about the body of Christ. David was supposed to be with the soldiers. He was still needed. He was still alive. He was still the king. We've got to watch where we're walking because it will affect everything. What do you mean watch where you're walking, walking in the spirit? Your serving and your dedication affects this house. Your tithe or lack thereof affects this house. Your lifestyle affects this house. You don't get the phone calls that I do. You don't get the phone calls when people call me and say, Pastor Kyle, I saw this person at your church put this on Facebook and they serve here and here and here. You don't get that phone call. And they form an entire opinion about the spiritual climate of this church because you're not watching where you walk. That's never happened. Because you're not watching where you walk. This is exactly what's going on with David and Uriah. David wasn't watching where he was walking. And Uriah is murdered because of it. In verse 18, then Joab sent a battle report to David and told his messenger, report the news of the battle to the king, but he might get angry and ask, why did the troops go so close to the city? Didn't they know there would be shooting from the walls? Wasn't Abimelech, son of Gideon, killed at Thebes by a woman who threw a milestone down on him from the wall? Why would you get so close to the wall? Just tell him Uriah the Hittite was killed too. Isn't this horrible? Not only is he killing Uriah, 
but he's telling Joab to lie, and he has to because he's got to honor the king. This has gone from such a godly kingdom to so much corruption. So the messenger went to Jerusalem and gave a complete report to David. The enemy came out against us in the open fields. We chased him back to the city gate. The archers on the wall shot arrows at us, and some of the king's men were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. Fight harder next time. Conquer the city. Can someone just say the sword devours? This is going to be significant in a minute. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And when the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace. And she became one of his wives. And then she gave birth to a son. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Isn't it interesting in the story of David, this is the first chapter where God is not mentioned until the last verse. Deceit, murder, adultery. And now that he's killed his best friend with a setup, he marries Bathsheba. And then David wrote about this in Psalm. He said in Psalm 32, verse 3 and 4, it says, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. We waste so much energy and cause our temple to waste away because we live in a place of cover-up while walking in pride. We're not wanting to confess anything. And instead of walking in spirit where, trans, where, where transparency is key, we walk in our flesh. We walk under all these different things, and you're wasting away. It's funny because all God wants is a repentance and a transparency. And he's so good if you remember in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing God did, he didn't. The first thing he did, he didn't condemn them. You know what the first thing God did? He said, where are you? We get so embarrassed of the sin, and God's like, it's not the sin that I'm concerned about, child. I want my son next to me. I want my daughter with me. And he says, the only, re the only way that can happen is if you will confess what you've done. That's how good our God is. Your daddy just wants you. Your father just wants you close. And it's so evident that this is what he does. In the next chapter, I'm going to read this pretty quickly. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David a story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich, one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle, and the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had, to, he, he, he had bought. He raised that little lamb. He grew up with his children and ate from the man's plate, drank from his cup, cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. It's kind of like some of you with dogs. <laughs> well, one day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. Now, remember, this rich man's got tons of these lambs. And this poor man has got one that he has nurtured like a daughter. 
But instead of killing one animal from his own flock, he took the poor man's lamb, killed it, and prepared it for his guests. That's cold. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole for having no pity. And then Nathan said to David, you're that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel. I saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house, his wives, and the kingdom of Israel and Judah. Let me pause because I know people are going to ask that. God, it doesn't mean God gave him multiple wives. What happens is when he took the kingdom, everything that Saul owned was now in David's stewardship. David was to steward the women, not sleep with them. I gave you his wives, the kingdom of Israel and Judah. If that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? You've murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, here's where the sword part comes in. Your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. Isn't it funny, the sarcasm used that day at Joab, well, people who die by the sword, is exactly what God put on his family. This is what the Lord says, because of what you've done, I will call your household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. Dang. You did it secretly, David but I'll make this happen to you openly in the sight of all of Israel. Because David walked in arrogance and not by the Spirit and what he would do, what happens over the next four or five chapters is devastating. You know what happens? First he gets this unwanted pregnancy by Bathsheba. Then he murders a trusted friend. We're about to see tonight that the... That the the baby that Bathsheba has dies. If that wasn't enough, in the next chapter, David's daughter is raped by his son. If that's not enough, one son in the next chapter murders another one. If that wasn't enough, in the next chapter, a civil war breaks out from one of David's sons against his own dad. And if that wasn't enough, in the next chapter, there's a son who imitates David's lack of self-control and it leads most of Israel away from God. And it was all because of David was in the wrong place at the wrong time, pacing around the roof, seeing someone bathe when he should have been on the flipping battlefield. All because he was not watching where he walked. That was it. God had led him through everything and a little bit of arrogance changed the path. So in verse 13, it says, David confessed to Nathan. I'm, getting, I'm closing. I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. And you won't die for this sin. Do you see what just happened? He finally repented. You ain't going to die. Cover up, murder, deceit, none of it worked. It leads to his 
children doing all these horrible things, the, 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 the death of his baby by Bathsheba. And all because he said, I've sinned against the Lord. The Lord forgave him. Nevertheless, here's the part that preachers aren't going to preach. Because you've shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord, your child will die. You see, forgiveness doesn't excuse what you've done. And there's a verse we love to use for positive, and we don't want to talk about it for negative. You reap what you sow. And you can ask forgiveness, and the Lord will forgive you and you, and, you, and, and you will be saved, and you will have favor on you, and God will bless you. But don't think because of one five-minute session at the altar that you don't have to account for what you've sown into all of your life. After Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. And this time, David did the right thing. Because remember, he saw a woman and he went to his advisors to find the name and he called for Bathsheba to come here and then he called for Joab to get Uriah and then he, he never talked to God. But this time it says David begged God to spare the child. After Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent deadly into the child David and Uriah's wife. David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. The elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. He was fasting. He was before God. And then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him, and he wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill. And they said, what drastic thing will he do when we tell him the child is dead? When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead? Yeah, they replied, he's dead. Well, then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, changed his clothes, and he went to the tabernacle and he worshiped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and restored food and ate, and his advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they told him. While the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you stop your mourning, your eating again. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive, for I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let that child live. But why should I fast when he's dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. Look at how different this response is. He confessed and he repented. And the whole chapter, in the face of losing his child, he worshiped and sought God. Because he was no longer walking in arrogance. He was no longer walking in pride. He was no longer walking in a pride that caused him to say, God, why'd you do this to me? I didn't deserve this. What did my child do? I didn't deserve this. He took ownership and he said, I don't care if it's good. I don't care if it's bad. I'm going to walk by the Spirit. I'm going to watch where I walk. And whether or not this child survives or if this child dies, no matter if it's tragedy, no matter if it's reward, no, ever, no matter if it's blessing, no matter if it's contempt, I'm going to walk my spirit by the Spirit and I'm going to give my God praise. I'm going to praise him in the storm. I'm going to praise him in the bad times. I'm going to praise him in the good times. I am not going to let circumstance move me. I'm not going to let tragedy move me. I'm not going to let a job loss remove me. I'm not going to let anything move me. From this point on, I got to deal with what I did, but I am going to walk by the Spirit, and God gets my glory and my praise no matter what. He fasted, he prayed, he worshiped, and no matter the outcome, he had peace because he sought God. And look what happens in verse 24. 
Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and he slept with her. What's the difference this time? He's married to her and has repented and confessed. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and David named him Solomon. The Lord loved the child and sent word through the, Nathan the prophet they should name him Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord, as the Lord had commanded. You may have lived apart from God for a long time, and you may have sown corruption after corruption and sin after sin and mistake after mistake, but in the turn of repentance, the blessing of the Lord is upon you. In a moment, God shifted from sending illness and curses over the family to blessing the child with the same woman that he committed adultery with. And you know what's significant about this child? Solomon is the one who's going to take his throne when David dies. Nothing you do can separate you from the love of God. But that does not mean you walk in such a way where you turn your, your ears and your eyes to the truth of repentance. Because we've got to start walking by the Spirit in everything we do. And I'm going to read this end of the passage and we'll close. Because I think that this is the most significant thing ever. Meanwhile, Joab was fighting against Rabbah, the capital of Ammon, and he captured the royal fortifications. Joab sent messengers to tell David, I fought against Rabbah and captured his water supply. Now bring the rest of the army and capture the city. Otherwise, I will capture it and get credit for the victory. Well, this time David didn't stay in Jerusalem because <laughs> he's walking by the Spirit. It's springtime. Where is he supposed to be? On the battlefield. So David gathered the army, and he went. <laughs> he learned. I'm, I'm getting on that battlefield. He went to Rabbah. He fought against it. He captured it. David removed the crown from the king's head, and it was placed on David's head. The crown was made of gold, set with gems. It weighed 75 pounds. <laughs> That's a big crown. David took a vast amount of plunder from the city. He also made slaves of the people of Rabbah, forcing the labor with saws, iron picks, iron axes, and to the work in the brick kilns. This is how he dealt with the people of the Ammonite towns. And then David and all the army returned to Jerusalem. This time David did the right thing. He's walking by the Spirit. He went into battle. And because God wanted him in the battle, he won. Every victory is won. God says, I will, and the scripture tells us that God will fight our every battle. The next line that no one quotes, he fights our every battle and he subdues our enemies so that we will conquer. God does not conquer our enemies. He subdues them for our conquering because he says we are the ones with the authority. Stop waiting, God to, stop waiting for God to do everything for you. He subdues the enemy so you can start doing something yourself. Stop saying, oh, the, God's going to do it. God's going to take care of it. No, he subdues it so that you can take care of it. You're still called to a battle. 
You're still called to responsibility. You're still called to manage your finances and your home and your friendships and your relationships. You're called to manage the seed you've been sowing, whether it's good or whether it's bad. David took responsibility. He repented. He started walking by the Spirit. God gave him favor. God said go. He went to the battle, and he won, and he got something. He got a crown. And I began to think of that and how that could relate to us as I close out this message. And God led me to a chapter that I, or a book that I never preached from. And it's in Revelation. In Revelation 4, 4, it says, 24 thrones surrounded him and 24 elders sat on them and they were clothed in white and they had what? Gold crowns on their head. And in verse 9, it says, whenever... The living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. They, and they lay their crowns before the throne. And they say, God, you're worthy. Oh, Lord, our God, you receive glory, honor, and power. You created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. You want to know why God has called us in the battle? Because when we conquer the battle, we gain a crown. And it is only in the gaining of crowns that you can lay it at his feet and say, glory to you. I got out of debt. Lord, you for teaching me tithes. I got out of depression. Glory to you who taught me peace. I no longer hold myself in contempt. Glory. I forgave my mother and father. Glory. Thank you for teaching me the key of honor. Glory. Because you have to wonder, the church always talks about fighting battles and winning Savannah and winning this and that. You know, you want to know why? It's so that we can get a crown and glory. Glory. I got a raise at work. Glory. I got the provision, God. Glory. There's a song in my spirit lately that was put out and it goes, we crown you with every crown. We crown you with every crown. I pray that we become a people who start walking by the Spirit, who start watching where we walk, so that when God calls us to a battle and a fight, we're ready to go, ready to get that crown, so that we can give God glory, honor, and praise all the days of our life. And through repentance, David got that back. And it's available to you if you would just watch where you walk. Amen?